Are you ready to become awesomer? Hello, everyone. My name is Umar Hamid. I'm your host on the No Limit Selling Podcast, where industry leaders share their tips, strategy, and advice on how you can become better, stronger, faster. Just before we get started, I've got a question for you. Do you have a negative voice inside your head? We all do, right? I'm going to help you remove that voice in under 30 days guaranteed. Not only remove it, but transform it. So instead of the voice that sabotages you, there's one that propels you to much higher levels of performance and success. There's a link in the show notes. Click on it to find out more. All right, let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the No Limit Selling Podcast. Today, we have uh, the privilege of having Michael Permack here today. He's the head honcho at, help me uh, pronounce Spire Group. Spire Spire Group. Welcome to the program. Thank you. So what I did there, Michael, was I hiccuped on the name of the the thing. I could have said it, but I opted to let you do it. And the reason I wanted to start off with that is this, is that in our world, we're so scared to look weak, or we don't know what we're doing, and we pretend to be better than we are, that when you are your authentic self, there's power there and this connection there. And rather than people seeing you for uh, being weaker, it actually creates strength. Kind of thoughts on that? Oh. Am I like, smoking something I shouldn't be smoking? No, I, I actually think, uh, you know, I just took um, a transformational leadership course with the Boston Breakthrough Academy. Nice. And nice. a big thing about it is being vulnerable uh, and also being in your heart. So I, I'm all over that. Like today, I just uh, landed a client and it was the final meeting with uh, the CEO started the company 40 years ago. His son's the president and he'll be taking over in the next two, three years. And the guy says, do you know why we are, look, why should we hire you? Like, what do you bring yeah. to the table? And I said, what I bring to the table is integrity. And he says, that's not why we're hiring you. We're hiring you for your passion. But I said, in the past, my passion was designed to make me look good and for me to win. And now yes. I think- wiser it's like how can we get the change for you and your organization is more important than me looking good yeah i get it and so you've been a leader for a while uh tell Mm -hmm. me about uh in your earlier days when you were younger and dumber what did you think an aspect of leadership was that turned out later on as you look back that really wasn't it do you have one of those things that uh you learned i I have i have a lot of those things because i i've been in business for um 35 years. So of course, and times changed over, over, you know, those decades, which is incredible that I say decades now. Um, But the one thing that I know is that uh, it shifted from, you know, I'm telling you what to do now is in more into a collaborative approach where uh, you enroll your team in your vision or in their vision for themselves. It depends on the situation, but it's it's um, all been rolling um, your employees as opposed to like telling them what to do. I mean, sometimes you get to do that, but um, that's, that's corrective action. But in general, you want them to be, you know, um, live their best lives. And to, in order for them to do that, um, they, they, you know, you have to have a, a compelling vision. Absolutely. I think uh, I'm going to come back to what you just said in a moment, but I'm going to focus on the vision. I think there's three main responsibilities of a leader. Number one is that compelling vision that's strategically sound, but inspires people to go, that's a journey worth taking. Mm -hmm. And, And the second thing is, how do you build a culture that is 
not selfish. It's not about my department and me looking good. It's a, how do we win? And doing that is like a real tough thing to do. So a leader has to focus on that. And the third one is long-term shareholder value. How do you make this thing more valuable? And if you can do that, you get to be a leader. And if you don't get the culture thing right, you get dragged down into operations where there's this VP doesn't get along with that VP or yeah. that kind of stuff. So have you been in an organization where the culture wasn't right and you helped mm. correct it? Um, so I've been, so that's a really great question. Uh, it's not my own company, but I was um, a board member of a Canada's largest charity as uh, a cancer charity. And I, I was outvoted 15 to one on their plan. Uh, I was on the board and I said, I, I guess I'm, I guess I should leave. And um, that turned, that turned into the head of the company, uh, sort of head of the charity coming to me um, as I was walking to the elevator and saying, you, you can't leave. And then I started a seven year journey uh, because I'm a cancer survivor uh, to work with a small group of bandits that we, we actually totally changed the culture. the the culture, the operating philosophy. The there's just a ton of stuff that went on, but the main point of the culture was that independent cancer charities were working to raise money from the same people. So my my thought was, why aren't we raising? Why why don't we join forces? And um, what happened was at the end, towards the end, I enrolled, uh, I'll call it a significant business person in um, Canada to, and he he was able to merge um, uh, prostate cancer with breast cancer with the overall cancer charities. But it was a vision that I had, like, it just came to me that why are, why are we fighting against each other for money? Let's go do it together. And that is that, that win-win philosophy is a huge, uh, that's a big part of my life. But thank you for sharing that story. And yeah. you would think that people in the cancer business would be benevolent, but it's not. It's that human nature to be selfish. And what if we share it? They'll take our share. And it's like, no, you'll grow the pie, but we can't get that. Yeah, it's a, it's a very, so imagine for a second that, you know, you're sitting in a hospital, you're not well. And that's who I focused on. I focused on the patient and their families. Yeah. The what was happening at the board level where they're focusing on pens and pencils and how much are we spending on marketing and this and that. And, and I get the performance measures that they're, they're needed, but with the outcome being that the patients and the, um, and their families and the researchers and the people are going to really make a difference uh, really needed to get engaged and be supported. And so in fact, I did this, I was in one province in Canada where I was the only provincial lead. Uh, I, I had an open house for all the employees and we told them from the board level what was going on. And, uh, and there was, there was a hundred employees, 80 showed up and they, they, they were so grateful just to know what was going on. So it was very, the dynamics were, were top down. And then we, we said, ask the board anything. And um, it was, it was an incredible experience. Yeah, it's really kind of interesting as a leader of a company, you are stuck in the middle. So you've got employees that are looking up to you and then you've mm-hmm. got a board that's uh, sometimes looking down upon you, but really it's the CEO that has to lead the board because oftentimes yeah. they don't get it. The whole idea is they're supposed to get it, but it's how do you focus them in an area? So a lot of times you get people that join a board 
and they're taking up space. And really, as a leader, you have to say, like, either step up or step off. You just can't be there and coast because oftentimes the board members have a kick-ass, amazing Rolodex and they have the ability to do things for the organization, but they're just waiting there. Tell me what to do. It's like, shut the hell up and go call your Rolodex and do yeah, something. Yes. Well, I was very fortunate uh, in that, that I, I won a, a governor general award for that change, turning around the, the organization. Um, but I was more fortunate that I, with the people I worked with, because they, they actually did step up and they supported me in many ways. Like I, I can't even tell you, but the, the biggest thing was, is they saw me as a change agent and I was not going to, I was, I was not going to take, you know, no for an answer uh, because of the importance of the cause, which is the vision. The vision is, is why can't we work together all together to help people with cancer period fundraising research whatever it was it didn't matter so that that was the that was the emphasis and and when somebody would i had a few people say to me this will never work you know it's not, not going to happen what do you know you know all all that stuff and i i just said you, you know you're right i i don't i don't know anything and then i would just boom i just speak my piece and people resonated with it and i got a lot of resistance that's yeah. one thing with change i got a lot of resistance from the status quo um and my answer to them um like one person said this will never work and she was a significant leader in, in the organization and i said you know what you don't have to stay you know if this isn't good for you i think it's the right thing to do personally but if it's if you don't have to stay and she was taken aback like and I, I didn't even work there as a volunteer but i knew the right thing to do i did some work with the cystic fibrosis foundation in the u.s and they were just an average uh charity doing good work mm -hmm. and and uh, this gentleman his son got sick and he happened to be a ceo of a fortune 500 company and decided to take over the uh as president of the cystic fibrosis foundation and he had a different mindset and his mindset was money is the key differentiator between whether we're going to be successful or not. Because in a lot of charities, it's like uh, they have a charity mindset. Won't you please give me one more dollar? Can I have another? <laughs> yes, and it's like, and he came in and said, no, we need to raise funds. And they ended up setting up a venture capital fund that funded treatments that are like on the last stages of trials to actually make a significant impact. And they have wow. the distinction now of raising more money per sick person than any other charity in the U.S. Oh, was, man, that's that's transformational. Yeah. And then they got all the volunteers. It's mostly a volunteer organization. And those people are on freaking fire with passion. So he uh, awoke the volunteers. He got the scientists working, raising funds and just focused on what was the most important, which is the people and the experience that families and patients have. And wow. how do we fund research that actually cures this thing rather than just go through the motions of stuff? And it was like quite inspiring. Yeah. So um, I that was a that was a highlight of my career. But it it um, like it wasn't about the award. It wasn't about um, achieving whatever. It was about doing. It was just doing good for like there's 37 million Canadians and they were all going to be impacted. So. Um, yeah, so I, I'm I'm focused on helping more than 37 million Canadians. I have a I have a big um, purpose. So 
Yeah. And if you find the cure here, it's kind of contagious. It could go worldwide, which is like amazing. Whatever comes from Poland, Canada, doesn't make a difference as long as it impacts. By the way, just a pop quiz for you, because like you're dozing off on this uh, podcast. What's the difference between Americans and Canadians? I'll tell you. That's an interesting. That's interesting. So I I believe uh, Americans are generally really good people. And but the, and they're they don't have the same social safety nets that we have in Canada. Our taxes are higher to provide social safety nets. They're very competitive, U.S. Um, and I I think that's great. Uh, but I I I I believe and that you know don't I'm just one man talking, but I believe that um, everybody's headed to the same conclusion that whatever whatever we do, we have to pick up the, the marginalized people and make sure they're okay. I don't yeah. say they're great, but they have to be okay. Um, and that's what I see as a commonality. Um, and, and I think, I think that's, it's headed in that direction. I, and I'm hopeful for that. Um, the other thing is, is um, the amount of money in the U S versus Canada is um, we're ten t- we're ten times less population, but we're I don't know thirty times less wealthy. We have resources that we're not selling, which are the cleanest uh, the oil, for example, and natural gas, which are we've we've developed really clean energy. Um, even like oil and gas in- industry is really focused on being clean, and um, it's being hampered by regulations and government control and all that stuff. So. Um, in the, in the U.S., I know there's some of that, but in Canada, it's really tough. Yeah, and I think there's a commonalities between both people. And initially, I was just going to tell you a joke. The difference between yeah. and Americans, when you ask an American, uh, who are you? They go, I'm an American. And you ask <laughs> Canadians, who are you? We go, we're not Americans. <laughs> That's actually true. <laughs> That's, that, and, and when... I, this goes way back, but when I, I backpack Europe, I, I for sure had a Canadian flag on. Yeah, definitely. And there's lots of Americans do the same thing. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, you're a business guy, you're in sales. And uh, tell me about some of the salespeople or one of the salespeople you were leading that was struggling and how you discovered what the issue was that was blocking them and how you got them to overcome it and how you allowed them to shine. Does someone come to yeah. mind? I ask yes, uh, absolutely. So uh, I'm going to just use his initials, uh, JS. JS. Yeah, <laughs> JS. He, he uh, was very technical. And we're, when, we, when we're selling to uh, our clients to get them to t- retain us, it's great to have that technical background, but they're, they want to have, develop trust. And the trust is based on a feeling that they get that that you're, that you're in their corner. He was going, I know this about, so we're in the medical um, industry. We help healthcare professionals um, with their finding locations and, and renewing their leases, et cetera, et cetera. And we also have uh, something called the healthcare investor network, which we help doctors and dentists um, and other healthcare professionals invest their fund money in a safe way. Um, so, but going back to JS, he was wrapped up in the technical. Right. He, he, he would say, this is how many footsteps it takes to go from the 
um, the front counter, to the, and he would tell them that in the sales meetings. And I would say they don't really care what they oh, want to know. What are you talking about? No, no, <laughs> you don't understand, Michael. But please go so, on. Yeah, so I helped him with a process for sales that right. I used for years, and I gave him what I call the wheel. And um, he started to implement that, and he couldn't believe how fast his sales turned around because he wasn't talking about extraneous things. So JS, did you say was the... Uh, yeah, JS, yeah. So what's interesting is uh, the person isn't here, but I, I bet if I asked them in their worldview, their strategy was perfectly sound and the world was crazy. Yes, and then that's exact, this, exactly right. You offer this new model of the world, which to JS, that sounds crazy. This will never work because it's stupid because why would it work? And then if they actually apply it in the way that was intended, then they get the results that you promised and they go, wait a minute, this is much better. But I suspect other people that you would have advised in this exact same situation, if they didn't trust in you, they would have tried your technique in a way that was designed to fail, like half-heartedly, <laughs> one step off. Yeah. And when it failed, it just uh, validates their belief that their way is right and your way is wrong. So part of the business of leadership is really managing beliefs, and you do a lot of that through trust. So oh, yes. how do you recommend people build trust with the people that they're leading? Yeah, that's a great question. So I'll take the same person, but I have other people like it's the same, it's the same tactic. You as a leader get get to, not have to, you get to spend time with it with the sales team or the salesperson or even the min people if it's if, if it's required. You get to spend time with them to learn what's important to them. And then you frame it around that. Because we're, we're talking about their vision. I mean, they go home at night and they have to talk to their spouse or they have a kid that's sick or whatever, whatever's going on for them. That's real. So yeah. the, more, the more that I am engaged with them on a personal level, they, and I give a shit. Oh, sorry. I, I, I care. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. There's no and I care about them. in Canada. They were fine. Yeah. Okay, good. Um, that I care about them legitimately and they feel that because I do, I do. Uh, some people don't fit with that, but that's the type of people that we, we, we have in our company and, and we support, we support the person personally. So they, there's no um, hidden agendas. So we, it's, it's taking the, it's taking the time to get to know what your, people want they're they're almost a customer in a different way that's to motivate them is to be connected to them because connection be breach trust or not or not and sometimes or sometimes what happens is they don't want to tell you what's really going on and it i my experience is that doesn't work out well for them or anybody or the organization. Yeah. A lot of times I'm working with a company right now mm -hmm. and it's a father and two sons run it. And the sons are not telling their father the truth, not because oh. why, mm -hmm. but you know, even if it was a boss and two subordinates, I heard this thing. It was the MGM, one of the founders of the studio. Well, he's got a quote. I don't want to work with yes men. I want people to tell me the truth, even if it gets them fired. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, um, I would say that I, we're not, apt to fire people often but we also um if you're you know if you're sticking out like a sore thumb it's it's not better not best for anybody right if they're not mm -hmm. if you've got a really good leader 
-hmm. they train their subordinates that it is your responsibility to have the courage to speak up when something is wrong. And sometimes you are going to be absolutely correct. We need to fix it. And sometimes you're going to be wrong, in which case we can have that conversation and settle the situation. But if you think something is wrong and you keep your mouth shut or worse, after the management meeting, you and three other managers go in your office and have the real meeting, yeah, uh, it just creates a cancer there. And I think one, the courage to speak up and then the strength to hear, because oftentimes when somebody points something out that's a weakness, instantly people get into a defensive mode where you really have to get on the same side of the table and go, so tell me, what are you seeing? Because mm -hmm. you get that trust and that intent, right? There's an issue. We need to solve it. Either it's a real issue, in which case we solve it, or it's not a real issue, in which case you enlighten me. But if we've got that kind of shorthand, oftentimes it never makes it to the leadership team in the first place. Managers just have a conversation in the hallway. It's like, oh, let's sort this out. It's done. Let's move forward. If we can't sort it out, the weekly team meeting is the place to sort it out because you've got eight super smart people can focus their energies on this issue and solve it like that rather than let it fester for six months. It's, it's, it's almost so simple, but here's, here's what I would say. I take total responsibility for everything in my life, everything. So if it's not going well, then for um, like in my family, whatever, I'm taking responsibility for that. So that what that means, and I and I talk to our people about this. What that means is you can no longer be a victim. Yeah, and and can't complain. So if I'm taking total responsibility, right? Then and you're taking total responsibility, then we can come to a really good outcome. That's my experience. Absolutely. And let's say I don't take total responsibility, mm -hmm. and you take total responsibility, and I do something really really bad. And if you say, well, it's Umar's fault, it's out of your hand. But if you say, I attracted Umar into my life, what's the mm -hmm. universe trying to teach me through this interaction? thousand percent. And, yeah. And then even I'm a firm believer in this concept of useful lies. Even if what you're saying is total bullshit, it's still useful that allows you and the organization to thrive. Yes. Uh, I happen to believe it is the truth. But uh, the way I look at it is if you take a look at the ultimate truths that Einstein had, that other people had, that are now turning out not to be accurate. But they still allowed us to progress for like 60 years and develop technologies and cell phones, even though it wasn't 100% true. And now we all get a better model. And that model is not going to be the truth. The definition of model is, this is our best guess. Right. Use it till we get a better one. And one of the things I hope I do is because I am wickedly smart in certain areas, but I always think, this is the best that I know, but it's probably wrong. And that allows me to be on the hunt. Like this interview today, this tips I'm going to take from this interview that I'm going to say, you know, that guy, Michael, he's full of shit in this area. Yeah. Or, <laughs> genius in this area. And there's going to be other stuff that you say that I'm like, I'm not sure I'm going to put it on the fence. Mm -hmm. And then as I go through life, I'm going to get more data that's going to let me put it on the, oh my God, this is really useful or not useful. And that's at least my path to getting better is just assuming what I know is wrong and being on the lookout. It's the best that I know, but there's a better way. And if I've got that lens on, I'm looking for stuff to make it better. And I, believe I, me, I, I find a lot of shit that I thought was right that is not. Oh, yeah. When you're starting something new, right? It's scary. It's, you know, you're on sand, you're not on solid ground, and it's really uncomfortable. And when you're uncomfortable, you're growing. That's 
And that is where I place myself in so many uncomfortable positions. And, and it's turned out every time I do it in a material way, like, you know, I'm not talking about something small, something big, it, you know, there's fear, there's doubt, there's this, there's that. But it, if I believe it's right, and I, I set my right intentions, it turns out that over the long run, it just works. So I'll give you a, a perfect example, not business. My daughter had a stroke when she was born. Wow. She was uh, very- Stop there just for a second. Holy yeah. shit, a stroke yeah. when she was born? Yes. I can't imagine how scary that was. Oh, yeah. It. Yeah, they said she'd never walk, she'd never talk, all, all that stuff. She, is, she doesn't have a third of her right hemisphere. Um, so yeah, it was painful. It was sad. It was, you know, we're new parents. It was really hard. It was really hard. And, um, so she had some social issues as, as she was growing up, um, like didn't fit in and all that. And even with us, she was, um, not that every daughter isn't uh, contrary, but she was really contrary. And I just kept saying to her, cause I had a vision for it in my mind for her that I am not going to, every time she did something like I didn't, didn't approve of, or, you know, or, or as a dad, I was worried about, I said, I'm not going to give up on you. And at 25, she said, Hey, you never gave up on me. So that's the kind of thing where if you set your intention yeah. and, and, and you're saying, okay, this is the outcome I want. This is, this is my vision. It, it eventually gets there most of the time. It may take longer than you want may take much longer and that's okay because you're, you're fail, fail, fail. Like you've heard a million times and then click the, the, the thing, something clicks and it locks in and you're on, you're now on a flywheel. So two things come up. One, a, a movie I saw a million years ago, there's this guy in this bar or restaurant with this woman. I'm not sure what their relationship is, but there's a gorgeous gorgeous woman on the other side and he's like almost drooling for her and the woman he's with is saying you really think she's beautiful yes the guy dating her right now for six months is already tired of her <laughs> so the reason i mentioned that is this is that we get a vision of you know when i get the job uh, this job is going to change everything when we finally get there it's like huh i thought it would be better and it's really that journey of getting there. If you can enjoy that. And thank you for sharing the story about your daughter. And mm -hmm. like getting at 25 when she said that, you know, it's oh my God. Felt great because this is my guess, because mm -hmm. you had that notion that I'm going to love you anyway, mm -hmm. that it allowed you to deal with it more wholeheartedly because you had that mindset. It might've felt bad at the moment, but it's still oh, yes. to handle it in a different way than you would have otherwise. And that allowed that outcome to happen. But at least the journey was a lot more enjoyable for both of you going there. Mm -hmm. so don't forget the journey. It's that's yeah. oh my God. 100% of the thing. The end result is that all there is, is basically the reaction a lot of times. Like I love seeing new places. I love achieving new things. But if I have fun going on that journey there, it's so much richer. And there's uh, probably a thousand times more joy on the journey then you get at the end of it all because the new car smell, it's a real big thrill for a day or two. But after that, it's just like uh, your nose blind to it. And you go, you go, for me anyway, my mind goes to what's next. 
like almost immediately i don't i don't know understand quite why my mind does that but um you know i i think actually i do uh i just had an epiphany because i mentioned to you in our pre-interview um it just came to me now that um i'm the you know i'm the longest living brain tumor survivor i can find and you know so, so i shut down for a number of years because they told me i was going to die and whatever and not whatever but it was really it was really hard and yeah. and now and i survived and so i i think i have a a understanding of mortality that i got at 29 that most people didn't didn't you know i i used to look at it like as a i was a victim to that for sure i didn't understand it why would at 29 and all that but now um it, it, I see it as a gift in terms of, wow, uh, what, I, I know I have limited time. I am for sure uh, want to achieve as much as I can and, you know, and leave it. I don't know. It's not leave a legacy. It's more like do the best work I can for the period of time I'm here. Yeah. And, and I'm talking three on three levels. So for um, my family for our our collective customers who, who um there's there's an, yeah we have we have lots of customers but also but also um on the volunteer front and social causes nice. and i'm not talking about cancer but those are my three Beyond that, sort absolutely. of pillars oh, yeah. yeah yeah and those three pillars it they intersect because if something is not good at home I can't perform for our customers or our social good. If something's not good with the social good, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm saying, hmm, how, yeah, yeah, I'm trying to figure that out. So they, they, but that's my three pillars that I, um, that I've developed over time. And I got to tell you the most rewarding ones are the, are the charity, not the money. Oh, I causes, the causes. So I saw this uh, TV show. It was called mm -hmm. human weapon where there's two heroes. One is like a, mixed martial artist and the other guy was a football player that also does some kind of martial arts and they would go around the world looking for martial arts and when they went to japan of course they were looking at the the ninjas and mm -hmm. so they go from different temples and they learn different techniques but at the end of the hour show they actually go to the headquarters and they one of them has to fight a, a badass ninja or a badass karate guy wherever they happen to be in the world yeah. and they're about to fight this badass ninja guy and they go to the grandmaster flash of the ninjas. He's like 99 million years old, an ancient guy. And through a translator, they say, is there one word of wisdom that you could give, give me before I go in the ring with this other guy who's like going to kill me? Yeah. And this is the advice he gave him. You have to embrace your death. By embracing mm. your death, you have the freedom to live and mm. thrive. And I think you've discovered that at an early age. That the, I didn't know that that was that. You know yeah. when it first happened. No, but it was it was a shock. But I I I I get it. Like you know, especially now I'm. I never thought I'd be fifty nine. Yeah. <laughs> I never thought I'd. I never thought I'd make it. Um, and now I see. You know, um, not that I see the end, but I see. You know, life's not forever. And you know, I want to play. And I would say this, this is something for your audience: is apply your efforts because you have. In, you don't have you have infinite possibilities, but not infinite time. So apply your time 
very, very carefully. Take time to think about, is this, is this meaningful or whatever you measure your time on? Is it monetarily successful? Whatever you measure, however you measure time. I measure, I told you in three buckets. So, but however you measure your time, focus, don't let a, don't let a minute go by. Um, yeah. It's really, it's really precious. Truly is. Last question for you. Yeah, like, sure. What makes you happy? So I don't actually like the word happy. I what like the word like? joy. Yeah. Uh, what gives me joy? There's a few things. Uh, first of all, my family, um, travel, um, golf, uh, transformational leadership was is amazing. Uh, and just, just making a difference in, in people's lives. You know, when I, when I complete an assignment for a client or one of our team members completes as an assignment and they, and they go, wow, thank God we hired you. That, that's, that's joy. I, I, Cause yeah, we made such a difference. Yeah. It's your, it's your heart. Exactly. It's not the pocketbook of the course we get paid. That's a given, but it's what difference do we make in their lives? And that's, that gives me joy. That makes me happy too. Michael, thanks so much for being on the program. Oh, thank you. You're awesome. Thank you so much. And uh, looking forward to our next conversation. Yeah, you bet. Okay. See you later. If you enjoyed this episode, please go to iTunes and leave a five-star rating. And if you're looking for more tools, go to my website at nolimitselling.com. I've got a free mind training course there that's going to teach you some insights from the world of neuro-linguistic programming, and that is the fastest way to get better results. 